Oh my god, that's that's so sad. Another fun episode. Oh my god, it feels it feels good. We're getting really close to the end of the season. Yeah, this one might not be as depressing as the last episode. <laughs> oh, I sure hope not. Last week it took me a couple days to get off of the, uh, <laughs> the sadness train. Let's uh, let's keep it more peppy. And honestly, uh, knowing our subject, you do have a few cuts on your wrists over there. No, I don't. I covered <laughs> them with my My Chemical Romance bracelets. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. We do not support My Chemical Romance at this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also don't don't cut your wrist. But mainly don't listen to My <laughs> Chemical Romance. If you if you don't listen to My Chemical Romance, the wrist cutting goes down 50%. <laughs> Uh, we are not doing My Chemical Romance this evening. Definitely I, I'm, not. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but we are doing a wacky, wacky feller. Uh, we really are. Uh, Frank Zappa, for anybody who doesn't know, is a cartoon character of a man, at least, yeah. uh, at least for his public persona. <laughs> uh, well, and here's the thing. Everybody says that James Brown was the hardest working man in music. I'm going to have to change my tune. Like oh, this. Yeah? We'll get to it. But Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I have, I don't have the depth that you know, and uh, or I will here in a little while. But just a few things we watched uh, and uh, listened to on the way in. Uh, there's, there's some good stuff. There's some wacky stuff. There's some stuff that starts out awesome, and then he breaks the song. It's yeah, it's, it's quite awesome, but also kind of like what the fuck? Question though, had you ever listened to Frank Zappa before this episode? Yes, I have. See, I never have. And there are some songs that he does that I really, really like. And so I'm surprised that I never really ever gave him a chance. Yeah, I only did because another band I really like claimed that him is a massive inspiration. So I was like, oh, of course I'm going to like this. And so I listened a little bit. It's well, it's, it's great, but it's it's really hard to keep up with a little or sometimes. So, you know. It comes with the good and it comes with the bad, but I, I most of it's honestly very, very good. You have no idea how true that statement is, though. Oh, shit. But why don't we get into it? Let's go. So Frank Vincent Zappa was born in Baltimore, Maryland on December 21st, 1940. Oh, yeah. To Sicilian-born Francis Vincent Zappa, who was of Greek and Arab descent, and Rosemarie Collimore, who was three-quarters Italian and one quarter French, which is probably who, why he looks like the goofiest dude. Yeah, that's a that's an lineage combination right there. <laughs> uh, and it also makes me feel better about that later album cover where he's dressed up like a chic. Because I was thinking like that's kind of weird, but now that like at least he's got some descendant down there, or you know, and that's funny because we'll actually talk about that. Oh, that, that album too. Oh, of course. Well, and so he was the oldest of four children, two brothers and a sister. 
And I don't know why, but for some reason this was significant to him. For a huge chunk of his life, he was under the mistaken impression that he had been named exactly after his father, Francis Vincent Zappa. So he thought he was Francis Vincent Zappa Jr. Yeah. And so there would actually like be like a few albums that he released under the name Francis too. Huh. But he found his birth certificate years later and discovered that his first name was Frank. His name wasn't Francis at no, all. It was, it was Frank. Frank. <laughs> well, hey, there you go. And so his father. The real Francis. 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 <laughs> the real Francis Vin- Vincent Zappa. God, that is a hard name to say. <laughs> There's a few edits you guys won't hear. He was actually a chemist and mathematician. And. He would end up taking a job with the Navy during World War II, and then he'd spend the rest of his career working in one capacity or another for the government or in, like, the defense industry. But this would result in his family moving a lot. In his early childhood, his family lived in Baltimore, where he was born. Then they'd go to Opelaka, Florida, which... Is that more of a Florida name or what? Yeah, Opalaka? I don't fucking know where that. That sounds crazy. <laughs> and then they That's a made up, up place. <laughs> That's, no, it's Florida. <laughs> That's a made up place. <laughs> and then they moved to Edgewood, Maryland. Oh, wait, we do have a couple listeners in Florida. So I guess, you know, you guys are all right. The listeners are all right. Yeah, you guys specifically. And, you know, because his father was a chemical weapons specialist, Supposedly, there would be times where he'd have to take precautions as a child, such as wearing a gas mask. <laughs> Supposedly, his dad would make things like mustard gas. Oh, wow. Like in the house? <laughs> like maybe in the garage? I don't know. <laughs> Experiment on a better one? I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it, I thought mustard gas was illegal by this point because it wasn't like outlawed after World War One. I? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I know that they did use something like it in like Korea or something. I'm I'm just not oh, sure okay. who used it. I that's not a, a very strong portion of my history knowledge. Well, if you guys want to know more about mustard gas, go dude, go check out another podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is not dude. Check out this war crime. <laughs> <laughs> and so in December 1951. And supposedly also partly because Zappa was often sick, suffering from asthma, earaches, and sinus problems. You know, maybe a little bit too much mustard gas around the house. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> they, they would end up moving to California, where his father would take a job teaching metallurgy at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey. <laughs> well, that's cool. Metallurgy. <laughs> he became the local blacksmith. He became the local wizard. He can- <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be his son. That'd be little Frankie Jr. <laughs> and it was the same year that Zappa would first start showing an interest in becoming a musician. He joined the school band and he played the snare. Oh, the snare. But they would also buy him a record player. I would assume because they moved him to a whole another state all the way across the other side of the continent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and this would really get his interest in music going. And he started collecting records. Hell yeah. And he would say about this, most musicians learn their trade by listening to records and imitating them. While we were first starting out, all we had was Chuck Berry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good place to start. <laughs> 
you know, he would kind of start really getting into collecting R&B records from guitar players like Gatemouth Brown, Guitar Slim, Matt Murphy, Guitar Watson. It's a couple names in there I recognize, but, you know, I mean. Mostly like, their first name is Guitar. Yeah. <laughs> or, or there are two of them. <laughs> One of them actually has a regular name, Matt Murphy. <laughs> No, but, that that is a Superman or something like that. That's Spider Man's alternate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's his hidden identity. Yeah, exactly. I'm just simple guitar player Matt Murphy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Daredevil. Yeah, that's Matt Murdock for Daredevil. Yeah, I don't know. And so, even though the Zappa family continued to live in California, they would still continue to move constantly throughout Zappa's childhood. By the time Zappa graduated from Antelope Valley Joint Union High School, what a fucking disaster of a high school <laughs> name that is, first of all. Will you give it one more time for me? Antelope Valley Joint Union High School. <laughs> what school did you go to? AVJU, baby. <laughs> AVJU pride, guys. <laughs> wonder if their mascot had a, 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 ridis- a ridiculously long name, too. It's like four animals <laughs> instead of one. <laughs> well, the jackalope dragon rain clouds. <laughs> the jackalope dragon rain clouds suiting name for this school yep well and even though he would graduate from there in june 1959 that was his seventh high school he had attended whoa so you know he kind of got used to life on the road it seems like yeah well i mean i myself actually almost almost hit seven i didn't quite hit seven i mean that's a lot like towns van zant though like he just traveled all the time when he was young and then when he grew up he just kept traveling yeah uh, for a very similar reason while he's younger, but Towns Van Zant kind of was just like, oh, I'm going to travel like crazy because I got millionaire oil money. <laughs> and he's legitimately crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, yeah, on my way to the shock therapy. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to what, bring up Stop that. ruining the surprise for this episode. Oh, my God, please don't. I ruined it last episode. If you tell me that, uh, just continue. And so... After graduating, you know, all he really wanted to do was play music. He'd end up joining an R&B band as a drummer in 1955. But at the same time, he ended up becoming a huge fan of avant-garde classical music. Ooh. Particularly the work of Edgar Varese. And I looked at some of this guy's music. If you think Zappa's stuff is crazy, this guy's stuff is it's fucking Towns Van Zant insane. <laughs> Maybe Rocky Erickson insane at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've not listened to that guy specifically, but I've heard some of that like super, super avant-garde classical music, and it's uh, it's, it's not li- enjoyable. I don't get it. It's like jazz, but even more chaotic, and that says something. And then, if you guys don't know what avant-garde music is, because this is the second time we've said that this season... This is kind of a music that's considered to be like the forefront of innovation. And it kind of implies like a critique of existing aesthetic conventions, the rejection of the status quo. Extreme experimentation. Yes. Extreme experimentation. I really just want to get that out there because that one Zappa's music fits that pretty goddamn well. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And two, this is the second time we've mentioned avant-garde without explaining what it is. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean. And so Zappa would also study music at several local colleges off and on. You know, around this time, he'd switch to playing guitar just in general. Like, that was his instrument now. For a little while, he'd end up jamming with some guy named Don Van Vliet, a.k.a. K. 
Captain Beefheart in the early 60s. Oh, yes. I've heard of him, too. They, he very <laughs> much fits into the same category. Yeah, well, they would kind of be compared to each other throughout their entire careers, too. Yeah, because they are very similar with that, uh, with their kind of psychedelic avant-garde rock. Well, and that's the weird thing about Zappa is he didn't do drugs. Like, he didn't drink or anything. Yeah, he wasn't. He, he wasn't was, a... He was basically a sober person. Like, he might drink occasionally, but he definitely didn't really do any drugs. <laughs> His brain was already special. <laughs> he didn't have to... It was broken on its own. He yeah. didn't have to break it. He was born this way. <laughs> and so, in December 28th, 1960, he ended up getting married to Catherine J. Sherman, number one. Number one. But, you know, that marriage would end in divorce in 1964. Oh, so. number one. Yeah, I mean, we'll kind of go through the timeline while this marriage is going on, but it doesn't seem like anything important really came from it. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't a uh, an important marriage in his life. It was kind of a short-term one. Yep. And so, you know, he's playing in bands, but he'd also work on scores for low-budget films. And so, seeking to record his score for one of these films the world's greatest sinner it's th uh, this is where he began working with tiny pal recording studio in cucamonga california run by paul buff in november 1961 all right and he and buff began writing and recording pop music with studio groups and and licensing results to such labels as delphi records and original sound records but on August 1st, 1961, he'd end up buying the studio from Buff and renaming it Studio Z. Oh, yeah. And so we get to 1965, you know, basically recently divorced. And 1965 is a good year for music. Oh, really, Pat? What happens in this history of we'll music? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> oh, will we? Yes. And even though he wasn't with his band that would end up really getting his music career going... The Mothers of Invention, you know, he basically immersed himself in music, whether this be at a studio in California or playing club shows in the evening. And there's one notorious occasion where he was playing with a blues trio at a Latin club in Ontario, California, where things got a little strange for him. <laughs> strange? Funny strange. So this gig, by all accounts, wasn't Zappa's best gig ever the audience was apparently much more captivated by the four go-go dancers they had on stage Unders understandably go-go yeah. <laughs> dancers are cool and they weren't digging his sound the go-go dancers were the main attraction apparently for this show following the show zappa was approached by who he believed to be a used car salesman following the show who offered him a hundred dollars for an audio tape of him making love this was too much money for Zappa to turn down at that point. Little did he know that it was actually an undercover cop, not a used car salesman. Wait, what? <laughs> First of all, did you say audio tape? Yeah, audio tape. I just want to record the sounds of you getting getting down? Yep. <laughs> and then it was like, no, I'm a cop. <laughs> this doesn't trap me, you dumb bitch. Wait for it. So Zappa came up with a genius ploy to earn himself that money. He would enlist the support of one of the go-go dancers, Lorraine Belcher, and then they would stay up most of the night manufacturing this tape, which included use of fake bed springs, squeaks, and grunts. He also overdubbed a musical background and said he spent hours cutting the laughs out of the recording. 
<laughs> so he put way more work than a hundred dollars into it. <laughs> and so on the following day, March 26, nineteen sixty-five, went to hand over the tape, and he found himself arrested with conspiracy to commit pornography. <laughs> <laughs> he got arrested for a fake sex tape. First of all, that's the best. <laughs> Was he? He, he should have really been like, "What? We didn't have sex, though." Like, we, we didn't actually do that. Yeah, but how could he prove it? All they heard was the audio at that point. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, how could they prove that what, they did? What a stupid reason. That is, so, that is was like the weirdest entrapment ever. I'm, I'm a badass undercover cop. What am I going to do? Hey, rock guy, will you record an audio tape of you having sex with a woman for me for $100? <laughs> yes. You're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> Pornography is illegal. Wait, what? You, you asked me to do this. <laughs> when did the movie Deep Throat come out? Because wasn't it in this era? I mean, wasn't that like a culturally big thing that happened? Yeah. And that was a porn movie, right? <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. I, I really don't know. Uh, that sounds highly illegal, but I'm sure at this point in, in time it was like standard practice. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they would probably catch you for anything they could entrap you in, and then they said they found criminals. That's a manufactured crime right there. And so both Zappa and Belcher would be arrested. Zappa had enough money from the royalties from a song he wrote called Memories of El Monte to, you know, get them out on bail. But after that, he was kind of short on cash and, you know, couldn't fund an adequate defense. So he pled no contest and would serve 10 days of a six-month sentence in jail. <laughs> 10 days of a six-month sentence? Yeah. For audio tape pornography? For audio tape pornography. Damn, dude. <laughs> and he said something about his time in jail. He'd say, you can't appreciate what jail is and what goes on there unless someone sticks you in one. <laughs> in a way, I guess I have to thank Detective Willis and the evil machinery of San Bernardino's legal system for giving me a chance to see... From that perspective, what the penal system is like in this country and how ineffectual and how stupid it is. <laughs> He's always so outspoken. That's what the, I really like about him from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, he was moral, but he also like wasn't like a typical musician in the scene either. In any sort of the way, like... He has what? his own morality, at yeah. least from the information I have. And so, after completing his sentence, he closed the studio moved to Los Angeles, and joined a band called the Soul Giants. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. <laughs> done. And this would feature his friend, singer Ray Collins, along with bass player Roy Estrada and drummer Jimmy Carl Black. Oh, yeah. I don't know any of those names. Nope. But you know what? It's a good thing for him. Yeah, more power to him, right? And quickly, he would convince the group to start playing his original compositions instead of covers. And they changed their name to the Mothers. And in Los Angeles, the Mothers would actually be able to obtain a manager named Herb Cohen. And they'd have a successful audition that would allow them to appear in popular nightclubs such as the Whiskey Go-Go. Which, yeah, that's a pretty famous place, right? Yeah, like the Doors got discovered there. Hell yeah. And, and it was at the Whiskey Go-Go where they were seen by record executive Tom Wilson, who signed them to the Verb Records subsidiary of MGM. So they're signed to Verb, but it was, you know, MGM subsidiary. Yeah. And this was on March 1st, 1966. That's within a year. That's pretty fucking yeah. quick. 
And Verb required them to change their suggestive name, the mothers, to be modified to the mothers of invention. Ah, uh, that's why they, they have that instead yeah. of just the mothers. Yep. And I'm trying to figure out what does that suggest? Like, I read that it stood for motherfuckers. That's but what I was thinking. Yeah, the yeah, motherfuckers. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just, it seemed like there's not enough there to actually, like, change it. It just, it was weird to me. Yeah, I don't know. That's, it, nowadays it wouldn't matter, but they, they cared so much more about things. You couldn't even imply slightly. Yeah, that's true. Well, and here's the weird thing about this. The contract called for the group to submit five albums in two years. <laughs> that's a weird, like, a weird... But that's that's awesome. That's, that's a, a lot. Of, that's a lot of music to write in that two is, years. That it really is. And so you know, they went into the studio to record the first album, "Freak Out." And I'm not gonna get too involved into this because it's a bunch of names that I don't know. But they had another guitar player come in, and it would make them a four piece. Like it's just, there were so many fucking musicians that came in and out of this. I was like, I I just can't include any of them because it's it's about Frank Zappa. Yeah, I spent half the time talking about other musicians yeah other people and then i would have to spend like the next like two days talking about all the albums he did it's fucking (laughs) insane yes let's let's cliff notes that and so this recording they would have an excess of material and zappa made an agreement to accept a reduced publishing royalty that led to a highly unusual decision for the time especially for our first album yeah a double lp wait like a double album yeah, that, that's fucking for the first album. For the first album, what the? Sh- that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so they just went in and just busted out a bunch yeah, of songs. Four, four sides, man. That's fucking cool. And here's the thing: this is the same year that Bob Dylan released "Blonde on Blonde." Yep. And that's a double. That's a double too, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, a double I too. That. But I've... this was Bob Dylan's seventh album. This was their first. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is insane. And so "Freak Out" was released on June twenty seventh, nineteen sixty six. Not a immediate commercial success, but it did enter the charts and would spend 23 weeks there. And so this would have songs like Hungry Freaks, Daddy, the title for one song. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and Trouble Every Day. And there, there's a reason why I picked these two songs, because they're on my next dude. Check out the song. Oh, nobody would have ever expected that, Ian. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm ter- I got to find a way to hide them better. But you know what? Hungry you Freaks- just mentioned the songs, then you say, guess what? These are my dude. Check out the songs and mention them again. Uh, uh, and I'm all right with that. It doesn't bother hung- me. Hungry Freaks, Daddy, and Trouble Every Day. These are actually some they, excellent songs. They are some bangers. I believe that's what the uh, younglings are saying these days. Oh, is that what the kids are calling it? Yep. In July 1966, Zappa would meet Elaine Gail Slotman. Another terrible name. <laughs> so terrible. Two weeks in a row now. Yeah, just wretched names. <laughs> I think, like, 60s names were good for men, but some of the women's 60s names are just, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, they just pick the most random names. Well, and so they were married in September 1967. Prior to the birth of their first child, who was born on September 28th, 1967, a daughter named Moon Unit Zappa. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
<laughs> oh. And this is the start of crazy, you know, cele- or, and this is the start of celebrities naming their kids crazy names. Moon, <laughs> Moon, Moon Unit. Unit. Well, right, and because of this name, he they ended up thinking he was crazy, sending him to the, uh, you know, nut house and electroshocking him. There we go. Got it in. Uh, uh, wait, please tell me you're joking, right? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? No, no, no. No, Electra, stop. Shock. Please, we're done with that this season. Like, evening. I would run through it that quick. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. You would draw it out. You would get me all all devoted. You'd be like, and then they just shocked his brain. Over and over and over again. Until he was dumb. <laughs> Fucking moon unit, man. <laughs> and uh, this is why, you know, this one would stick. Number two would stick. <laughs> Well, she let him name the kid Moon Unit. Well, what they, the hell? Like, she's probably going to let him do whatever he wants. Well, they had a son in 69. They named him Dweezel. Oh, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I remember this because we actually watched a little uh, little bit of an in- interview on TV, and he mentioned Moon and Dweezel and his children. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? In in 1974, they'd, they'd have a son named Ahmed Zappa. Ahmed? Ahmed. A A H M E T. Oh, okay. And then their fourth, their fourth and final child would be born in '79, and her name was Diva. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a bunch of normal kids with normal names. No big deal. Don't I mean, even worry about it. I mean, it. they really uh, hit a home run with the first two. Yeah, I don't think once you name your kid Moon Unit, you can't you can't top that. You have to straight up ruin th- the kid's <laughs> life to, to name them anything crazier than Moon. I think Unit. that's how they came up with Dweezel. They're like. Now we need to make something up. Yeah, Dweezel sounds like a hobbit name. or like It really does. <laughs> like a fairy or something. I don't know. <laughs> and so in November 1966, the Mothers of Invention would move to New York for a while. They'd play there for several weeks. They'd do two, a do, two-week stint in Montreal. They'd return to California. And some people would leave the band. Some people would come in, blah, blah, blah. In March, Zappa would start his first solo album lumpy gravy and he'd signed a capital records under the impression that he was not signed to verve a position that verve would dispute because they signed the band the mother of inventions but he was in the band did a solo album so they're like well that, that's got to be released for us he owes us five albums oh i see fucking contract bullshit <laughs> well if you're in a band and you want to make a living sometimes you got to deal with that shit yeah, I mean, anybody's paying me to do music, I'd probably be like, all right, whatever. Five albums? Like, you got fucking five albums. And so in September 1967, the Mothers of Invention toured Europe for the first time, playing in the UK, Sweden, Denmark. But on October 1st, Verve would fail to exercise its option to extend the band's contract, although they still owed three more LPs to the label. So, like, we're not going to extend you, but you owe us more albums. Oh, yeah. You still have to follow through on the original contract, but we don't want you after that. And so they would release their next album on March 4th, 1968. We're only in it for the money, and it would reach the top 30. This was also around the time the legal dispute for his solo album was uh, solved. So, you know, Verb had to release it. Oh, so Verb Verb had to release it? Yeah, like they wanted, you know. But, and here's the thing. With this album, this album originally had a cover that made fun of the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, and this is the one with the cover that all, or yeah, the uh, the album cover, right? Well, this is actually the inside sleeve. 
Oh, so that's not the album cover. No, they wanted it to be, but there was legal disputes over it, or the Verve was worried there would be legal disputes over it, and so they decided to put this on the inside cover, and they came up with another cover. But, yes, this is straight up them making fun of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, there's there's the bass drum in the center with, like, the, the name on it, and then there's, like, instead of a whole bunch of people standing there, there's a whole bunch of people, like, photoshopped there. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix and fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald is in the back sh- while yeah. he's getting shot. Yeah, the famous picture that, that me and Ian adore just because of our band. But uh, like, <laughs> it's the, the it's not as creepy as it sounds. I swear. Yeah, you you can't tell he's getting shot. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's such a famous picture that you look around and the whole thing is full of famous pictures and uh, and there's a bunch of like eyes blacked out and yep. stuff yeah there's an elvis over there with half his face blacked out i assume that's also for uh to make sure that it's like you know for likeness sake or whatever i don't know well and here's the thing about this album they were directly like making fun of like the beatles and the whole yeah. like counterculture hippie movement free drugs and blah blah, blah. yeah zappa didn't like uh he didn't like the hippies yeah, I I, I kind of get that feeling because he kind of makes fun of like hipping and dipping a few times. Yeah, well, you know, being avant garde, you know, he's making fun of essentially popular culture because the counterculture really like it was like changing the world and yeah. becoming popular culture, right? Yeah, he was. It, it, it sounds like he was against the popularization of the counterculture rather than against the counterculture itself, right? Well, and so. You know, because of this, he'd release songs like Who Needs the Peace Corps, Concentration Moon, Absolutely Free, Flower Punk. All fucking just trippy ass songs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Flower he, Punk in particular is just a wild well, it, ride. And that's the thing. They made it psychedelic on purpose, but there was no drugs involved. Yeah. No, like, yeah, exactly. They, <laughs> they clearly didn't need drugs. Like, as it's like a polar opposite of like a Rocky Erickson sort of situation where there's like, I'm just going to stuff drugs in myself all the time and just like be catatonic on the stage. Like, these guys were like trippy as fuck sober. Like, yeah. More trippy than like, anything we, that Rocky Erickson like, ever like did. They, yeah, like almost they would say like, we can get higher than you and not even get high. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things, if you really think about it, like doing like psychedelics on stage sounds really cool and hippie and glorious, but really you're taking away from your stage performance because you're just enjoying it yourself. Right. And then eventually you'll end up sitting in front of your amp with it, feeding it back. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like what we're talking about where it, it, it is not enjoyable as a show art. You you would prefer your crowd to be on LSD while you played rather than you be on LSD and play for the crowd. That's the way it really should be. Right. Well, and, you know, he didn't just point his finger at the youth of the counterculture. He would make fun of the parents with songs like Mom and Dad and Bowtie Daddy, you know, and another song called What's the Ugliest Part of Your Body? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just... Uh, it's, it's a great song. And the I, answer is it's your brain. <laughs> That's what the the song says, at least. <laughs> Thanks for ruining the surprise, yeah, yeah. Pat. I just a spoiler spoiler alert. So this needs another dude. Check out this song, and we've got who needs the Peace Corps? Absolutely free. Flower Punk. Mom and Dad. Bowtie Daddy, which is like what a forty second song. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the ugliest part of your body? <laughs> and and flower punk is super super good it, it starts it's, it's super trippy just the whole way through but it is good yeah it starts out with going down to frisco to join a psychedelic band 
Yeah, and, and then they get, and then they start making fun of Frisco while yep. being, I'm gonna get a hairband and <laughs> <laughs> and a flower in my hair. <laughs> oh shit! But it wasn't the albums that the Mothers of Invention were known for. It was their live performances. Oh, I could assume so. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, Zappa would say about his live performances. We played for whoever would come in and take part in what we were doing. We would involve the audience so that what we did was an extension of the personalities of the people in the group and in the audience instead of a locked-in spectacle-type show. It was spontaneous, and our credo was that we weren't afraid to do anything as long as the audience was going to get off on it. I do weird things on stage, but nothing involving material discharges from the body or small animals subject to injuries. We've done some strange things, but we don't hurt people or animals, and it doesn't smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get a little dig on the hippies in there. Huh? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I feel like there's a couple stage acts that must have been going on at the same time that were using animals. I mean, I know it's not quite the Aussie days where he's eating bats or anything yet, but uh, I assume there that has a root in other things that might have been going on at the time. Well, I and I can't for the life of me remember what year this was, but... ZZ Top did tour with like a whole like circus carnival show like oh wow <laughs> so I don't know if that's a, what they're referring to but stuff like that did happen yeah I don't know and in an interview in 1969 with Rolling Stone he'd say we performed a couple of marriages on stage we'd pull people out of the audience and made them make speeches one time we brought 30 people up on stage and some of them took out instruments and the rest of them sang Louie Louie as we left. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> I know, right? Like, how cool is that shit? And so I did skip over some recordings in this, and I'll explain it in a second. But a contract with Warner Brothers would end up giving Zappa his own label, Discreet, originally called Bizarre and Straight. And he, you know, produced records by Captain Beefheart and like a young Alice Cooper. Hell yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this is kind of he kind of helped Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper get yeah. a start. Alice Cooper is another one of those ones who I would think uh, also kind of fits into that like stage style too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I mean, he was known for like he'd get hung on stage and yeah. stuff like that. Well, I mean, in his later career, he went way off the rails with it too. And so this is the part where I was at when I went through it the first time with my research, and I mm. had to stop because it was getting really convoluted because it was just like. He toured here, he recorded this, he toured here, then recorded that, he toured here and recorded this, did that, and I was just like, okay, what the fuck is going on? I need to stop and figure out what's going on. Well, like I told you, I was trying to find a narrative for the show, mm -hmm. and I found the narrative. It just, it was in a place I did not expect, in his discography. Yeah. So, the same year he released... We're only in it for the money. He also released an album called Cruising with Ruben and the Jets. The next year, he'd release Mother Mania, Uncle Meat, Hot Rats. The year after that, Burnt Weenie Sandwich, Weasels Rip My Flesh, Chunga's Revenge. In 71, Fillmore East, June 1971. And another album called 200 Motels. In 1972, just another band from L.A., Waka Jaka, the Grand Wazoo. And those it, are all albums? These are all albums. In 1973, Overnight Sensation. In 1974, Apostrophe and Rocky and Elsewhere. In 1975, One Size Fits All and 
Bongo Fury. In 1976, Zoots Allure. In 1978, Zappa in New York. Studio Tan. <laughs> Sleep Dirt. Sheik Your Body. <laughs> that's like, that's, that is like, what, 12 albums in 10 years? <laughs> no, dude, there's so many. 1979. Oh, I think I said Sheik Your, uh, your Zeddy was in 78. That's in 79. He also had orchestral favorites. Joe's Garage Act One, and then another album called Joe's Garage Act Two and Three. <laughs> <laughs> in 1981, Tinseltown Rebellion, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar Some More, The Return of Son of Shut Up and Play Your Guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you are what? Three, those are three albums that yeah. he released in a row? Yeah. <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> and still in 81, You Are What You Is. <laughs> in 1982, Ship arriving too late to save a drowning witch. It just keeps going and it keeps going. And he just got albums after albums. <laughs> albums after. after albums. Like almost every year, at least one album. And I'm, I looked at this and I went, what do I do with all this? How do I find any songs? <laughs> so I restarted. <laughs> so began again from oh. the beginning. Yeah. I could have kept going too. Yeah. All the way till his death and even after his death. He released like... 30 more albums after he died. In his life, he released over 60 albums. Jesus Christ. Some of them like orchestras, you know, yeah, his regular weird rock shit. Uh, he did some electronic stuff in there in like the 90s. Dude, dude made some music. That's all he did. That's all he did. That That is the narrative for this episode is if you find something you love, apparently that's all you do. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's a good narrative. I mean, hey, <laughs> he's a man of singular focus. That's for fucking sure. And that's why I didn't get into any of the musicians involved other than the the very initial start of Mothers of Invention. Yeah. Because holy shit, because it'd be like, then they would add this and this and this player, but him and him would leave, but it would be like nine people playing and blah, blah, blah. And it was it's like, uh, after a while, I, I just I had to stop. I had to take a breath and I'm like, okay. I just have to find some albums to focus on yep. because that's all I could do. <laughs> I can't do every one, single one of these albums. It would be a, like three day to yep. check out this song. Yeah, that's uh, that is. <laughs> we're we're already into uh, into like the the third or the fourth quarter of where we usually are with our uh, narrative. Yeah, I've and, talked about five albums too. Yeah, We're not even that many, but yeah, and just <laughs> you know, forty more, fifty more, whatever it may be. We we ain't got time for that. So we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna fill up the do check out this song playlist. With, oh, it's definitely gonna be full. It's gonna be a big old long one. But uh, we're we're not gonna be able to go into individual songs from each of these sixty albums well, as uh, as obvious. For obvious reasons. Yeah, like with some of the other ones, you know, I was at least able to fit in either their main albums of influence or, you know, whatever. You know, I looked up like Zappa's best albums, you know, like looked at a bunch of lists, like four or five albums would consistently make the list, but every single one had different albums on yeah, it. Yeah. Like and it, it was like. He, it, he clearly has a dynamic, uh, like discography so therefore yeah. people with dynamic opinions have different opinions right on and so better. most of the albums i ended up choosing were from the ones that were always like common on those lists so that's how i made my decision i gotta disclose that because it was the only way i could get myself out of the mud because after reading that discography like i didn't know what to do yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm panicking 
<laughs> so let's continue. <laughs> so in 1969, the Mothers of Invention had nine members, right? Right. Zappa was supporting the group himself from his publishing royalties, whether they played or not. Oh, wow. But in late 1969, Zappa broke up the band due to the financial strain. This caused some bitterness with the band. Some would say, you know, he just, he doesn't want us in there because he's too particular in the studio and blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of butthurt feelings. Yeah, yeah but he he literally was paying for everything. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they were just mad that they weren't getting paid anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm mad that, that he's not going to pay me to be, just be a musician anymore. And so they would eventually get back together, but it wouldn't be like the same people who just call them the Mothers of Invention. Yeah. It would be Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. And so that's the last we're going to mention of them. Everything else, yeah. just Zappa, Zappa, Zappa. Zappa, Zappa, Zappa. And so after the Mothers of Invention disbanded, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I had one more mention, <laughs> he would end up releasing his solo album, Hot Rats. Which is some good gems on this album. Yeah, well, this one would actually, like, be the first record to feature him playing, like, extended guitar solos and stuff like that. And one song that would appear on many more future albums, well, at least several more future albums of his called Peaches and Regalia. And this is my dude check out the song here. Peaches gems. And, dude, this one, like... Do you had us listen to one other song from this album? Because this is the one with the girl in the pool, right? No, so I had I started with another album and realized I forgot to put this one on my dude check out uh, this song. Okay. And so we had to go back to this one. And this is one of the rare ones where it's like a jam all the way through. Like cuz there it's are some more, It's more actual rock and roll than yeah. the, than the really crazy stuff that he does mostly. Cuz he has like the weirdest breakdowns and stuff like that. And so I I think this song's a kick-ass jam and honestly probably one of my favorites from the list. That's I mean, that, I, I, I completely agree with that. Like, honestly, like, I really like a lot of his avant-garde stuff, but the more, like, put together his music is, it shows that he's really a fucking extremely talented, extremely talented musician and composer. Right, and here's the thing is, with all the albums he released, he probably was just never satisfied, so he was always searching for something, always looking, and, yep. and that's why he the just constant loves playing music. Yeah, so the constant evolution of sound makes sense, too. And but it, his was truly constant. Yeah, and, and, like, if you listen to his tracks, a lot of times he has, like, weird, like, multiple layers of vocals on top of each other, but it still shows there's, like, a composition base where, like, these these weird vocals, even if they're a weird voice saying nonsensical stuff and not even singing, it's still part of the composition and builds towards the the overall feeling and groove, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's definitely a talented songwriter, but he definitely likes to take it to places where... One, you don't expect, and two, sometimes it's probably not a great place to go. But he tried, and that's what he did, is he tried, tried, tried to see what he could do. Yeah. And so, in 1971, not a great year for Zappa. On December 4th, in one of their shows in the Montreux Casino in Geneva, Switzerland, a crazed fan fired a flare gun during the band's performance. The venue's heating system exploded, starting a fire that left several fans injured. The band's equipment destroyed, and the venue itself burnt to the ground. Wow. Supposedly, this is the event that inspired the song Smoke on the Water. (laughs) (laughs) 
Really? Yeah, supposedly this is the event that Wow. <laughs> the, the first song every guitar player likes. Yeah, it's all because Frank Zappa likes, or Frank Zappa's fans like flare guns. <laughs> I, I really hope that's what the inspiration is. That'd be amazing. That makes that song actually tolerable. <laughs> I actually really like Deep Purple, but... I have a hard time listening to that song. Yeah, it's just it was it was way overplayed in my youth, so I can't even take it seriously. That's what happened to a lot of like Led Zeppelin with me. Yeah, I've heard it so many times in in so many contexts, like that. I feel like it it almost sounds like commercial and not like in a oh you sold out like a more like it sounds like an ad in my ear because I've heard <laughs> it so many times. You know, I right. It's like they're trying to sell me something. Turn it off. Well, and so. On December 10th, 1971, six days later, you know, because of the fire, they didn't have any equipment, yeah. so they would... I think they ended up having to, like, rent a bunch of shit, you know? Yeah. But something else crazy happened. So, it was during the band's encore, they started playing I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. Yeah. They were in the UK, right? Yeah. So, they were doing kind of a sarcastic performance of it when it seemed to spark the rage... Of a 24-year-old manual worker named Trevor Charles Howard. He raced to the stage, pushing Zappa into the venue's concrete orchestra pit, much to the horror of the panic band and audience. What the fuck? Is, they <laughs> pushed him into a concrete pit? Those pits yeah, are like usually... That's a long fall. That's a big fall from the stage to the bottom of the orchestra pit. Like, that's not a cool thing. So Zappa would say about this incident... The band thought I was dead. <laughs> my head was over my shoulder. My neck was bent like it was broken. I had a gash in my chin, a hole in the back of my head, a broken rib, and a fractured leg. One arm was paralyzed. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Jesus, dude. And so this kid, of course, after pushing him, attempts to flee and he was caught by the audience who was super pissed off at yeah, him probably not super happy with that guy <laughs> they all thought he died yeah they all thought he was dead oh so they, they, <laughs> they probably passed that guy a little bit of a beating before the cops got there huh no they gave him to zappa's roadies oh well, that's even worse who may or may not have roughed him up <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they, did. they probably roughed him up real good before the cops got there and you know his reason why he did this because he was mad that he was making fun of the Beatles? No, he was jealous. His girlfriend had recently admitted her infatuation with Zappa, which triggered this sudden burst of rage. <laughs> Your girlfriend was to bang so, Zappa so, and push him <laughs> off the stage. So they were in the audience dancing around, and she was just like, Oh, he's so cute. He's so handsome. He's awesome. I love him. Yeah. And he's like, No. The only option is for me to, to attempt to slay this musician. <laughs> I must show her that I am stronger. This will truly change her opinion. This will solidify her love for me. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so, you know, after this attack, the band had to cancel the rest of their tour. Duh. Yeah, well, Zappa, yeah. Zappa was wheelchair-bound for a year, and... You know, he would eventually recover from his injuries, but he did suffer chronic back pain throughout the rest of his life. And I guess he had a limp while he was on stage for like the next three or four years, something oh like that. Oh, my God. That is ridiculous. What the fuck? People are so crazy. I know. Especially when they think w with their genitals. <sighs> I swear to God. I don't even know, man. That is just, that is so wacky. 
Yeah, I did not see this one coming when I redid my research. Yeah, I've I've known about Frank Zappa for a long time, and I've never heard anything about that. And so in 1973, Zappa would release his first commercial success, Overnight Sensation. <laughs> how, how fitting of a name, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and this would actually have some great songs on it. He'd have songs like Camarillo Brillo, I'm the Slime, Dirty Love, Zombie Woof. Woof. Montana, and a really, really over-the-top sexual song called Dynamo Hum. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then he would follow this album with his greatest commercial success, at least in the pop charts-wise, with the album Apostrophe. And the song that would make the pop charts was Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fantastic jam. It and, really is. And it, his name so well. I can't figure out if this is one song or two songs though because the one we listen to is like 10 minutes long and goes into a completely different song about two minutes in yeah exactly i i'm pretty sure it's one song but it's two songs it's just the just his style you know what i right. mean like well and so here's the thing when i heard the song i'm like oh i've heard it before okay and then about two minutes goes in and it goes to the don't you eat the yellow snow part <laughs> and then cuts into the next part and I recognize that part, but everything else from there on, never heard before. I wonder if the radio version is shorter or That's something. what I'm wondering. I even tried to find the radio version, but nothing ever said radio version on it. I did find the, that two-minute version of it, but it never said radio version. So I don't know, man. And so often those radio versions were cut per like station. Like when they, they had songs that were too long, they would just be like, and this is where we're going to fade it yeah. out. <laughs> and that's Frank Zappa. Yeah. Please don't eat that yellow snow. That was a two-minute song. What the fuck? <laughs> Where's the bridge? One, two, three, and four. And so we got Dude Check Out This Song Again. I'm the Slime, Dirty Love, Zombie Woof, and Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. And actually, I'm the Slime and Zombie Woof out of this whole collection are my two tops on this. And, and these definitely made the top songs for this episode for me because his songs are all over the place. So it's hard to figure out what to share and whatnot, but I heard these two songs. I'm like, I like them. Yeah, these ones are more solidly musician or musical, I guess. Uh, they, they still do have his typical, like, breaking the song, doing weird shit, but... But they it does feel like it flows yeah, less I, jaggedly than most of his other music. You, I heard it, and I actually smiled through it. It made me laugh. I'm just like, okay, I can get down on this. <laughs> yeah. All right, whatever. And, you know, like... All throughout the 70s, he tour, record, tour, record, tour, record, tour, record. And by 1979, Zappa would hit his highest peaks. He'd record both live and in the studio an album called Chic Your Booty. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I was really glad he had the the descent, uh, or like the... the the racial descent because when i saw this cover i was like oh my god is this just a white dude in a chic hat like or whatever you call the right the, <laughs> so then it could just be him making fun of yeah, the culture yeah no exactly but then you know at least it's at least he he's got a little bit cheek your booty is uh is quite an amazing pun if i ask or if i do say so myself <laughs> yeah it took me a couple times reading it to actually like for it to sink in like oh i get it now because i i kept calling it cheek your bowdy uh yeah yeah it's chic your booty but yeah this is a double album and he does make fun of culture 
but popular culture and music. Yeah. <laughs> he, he'd uh, go after disco and cocaine with Dancing Fool. He'd go after sex and S&M with Bobby Brown Goes Down and Broken Hearts Are For Assholes. <laughs> what a great name to a song. Like, but he would, he would actually do something quite uh, terrible on this well, album, too. I, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. He would mock Peter Frampton on the opening track, I Have Been In You. <laughs> and he'd even take a stab at our mascot. Our mascot. The cultural idol of our podcast, Bob Dylan, the sacred one. Yes, yeah, I can, <laughs> cannot believe it. It's actually fucking amazing. It's it, pretty funny. It's it's a song called Flakes, and it, at first it's just, you're kind of like, okay, this is pretty groovy, and then all of a sudden, like, everything cuts out, like, to a minimum, and, and then it's this dude sounding like Bob Dylan. It's go, a Bob Dylan impersonation. <laughs> yeah, comes and, on. Hey, man. Yeah. And then and then every once in a while he'd speak, and there'd be this harmonica in the background. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, so if there's any you know Bob Dylan fans out there, check this song out. It is well worth the giggle. Uh, unless you're one of those people who gets offended by Bob Dylan like impersonations and then shut up and yeah, quit being a baby. We're some of the biggest Bob Dylan fans, and we thought it was funny because you know what? If you can't laugh at stuff you love, like you're kind of just you know an annoying person. Yes. And then you know there'd be other songs on there like "Trying to Grow a Chin," kind of a semi-racist song called "Jewish Princess," and. Yeah. They didn't age well. <laughs> that one definitely does not. We'll see if it makes the list. And then another, you know, suggestive song called Wild Love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so let's get to this dude check out the song. Let's see what made the list. Yeah. We got Dancing Fool. Dancing Fool. Bobby Brown Goes Down. Yep. Broken Hearts Are For Assholes. Hell, yeah. Flakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 that was my attempt at a harmonica. And then trying to grow a chin. <laughs> All really good jams. Well, and in the late 80s, he would actually, like, help take the charge against uh, Tipper Gore. You know, because she was trying to censor music and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And that's why we saw that interview, which reminded me of that because I meant to put it in my notes. It's not in there. But, yeah, yeah he helped with the fight for uncensored music yep. in, in the late 80s. Yeah, yeah, which is which is super solid. But at the same time, if you uh, go on YouTube and you find the interview where him and Tipper Gore actually like debate, uh, it's not pretty only funny. You know, not only has the interview not aged well because it's like a like a super uptight '90s like uh, television interview. It's like those Fox interviews nobody watches anymore. Yeah, Frank Zappa goes about talking uh, about letting uh, <laughs> Moon Unit and uh, Dweezil uh, watch Faces of Death. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you don't know what that is, that is like a 90s... W or well, it started out as a... Uh, oh, as videos. As right? videos, yeah. Yeah, because that's right. So, yeah, and so in the late 80s and the early 90s, it was videotapes and then internet websites that were people actually dying and, like, gore, uh, like... Yeah, gore very brutal. Yeah, very, very brutal gore fetishism, and it's, uh, you know, not for the weak of heart, and I do not honestly recommend anybody ever look at anything like that because it is just not... It's not even... 
not even good. So like, you know, I, I do appreciate that he was trying to keep music from being censored. I do understand that the news media was trying to use that faces of death to compare it to the music at the time, because I, you know, I lived through this era. I well, understand what was going on. And the funny thing is, is his whole argument was, well, I let my kids watch it. And so they became vegetarians. Yeah, they didn't want, they, they really didn't like it. So he's essentially what he said is I let my kids watch it and traumatize them. So, uh, you know, just, you know, it's, it's, I still don't believe in censorship, but you know what? Thank you for the fight, Frank Zappa. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't, I do not believe in censorship of music, but I also do not believe you should let your children watch people die. So no, definitely not. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. You know, one good thing on one hand, you know, scarring <laughs> your children forever. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it happens. Poor moon unit. I wonder what moon units up to these days. <laughs> you think she goes by moon units still? I don't know. <laughs> I, I would. I think I would just go by unit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, unit. Next, what's next? So in 1991 in Czechoslovakia, where he... <laughs> what a terrible way to start. No, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> wow. Good thing we don't have anybody from the Czech Republic listening to this, huh? I think we did have a check, uh, a couple we? check listeners. Yeah. Well, we're not talking about you guys. <laughs> you guys are great. We promise. Uh, <laughs> there's actually nothing bad here. It's pretty funny. He had actually been like a long time, like cultural underground hero here. And he was eventually appointed the country's cultural liaison officer with the West. <laughs> and he was given this while he gave his last life performance in Budapest, celebrating the Soviet troops withdrawing from Hungary. Wow, that's actually pretty cool. Right? I mean, that's that's a pretty cool, like... Yeah, they're know. like, you're our cultural liaison. <laughs> cultural liaison Yeah, that's a mouthful, West. too. Czechoslovakian cultural liaison to the West. <laughs> I want that on a pin. <laughs> Maybe like a little piece a of paper you can bump, frame. A bumper sticker. <laughs> give, me a, give me a card. Could you imagine your card? Frank Zappa. <laughs> Cultural liaison to the West for Czechoslovakia. What if his bumper just said, I'm the cultural liaison to Czechoslovakia? <laughs> the bumper saying, I'm the proud dad of the cultural liaison. Here, <laughs> 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 dad. Well, in that same year, he would announce that he would be standing as an independent candidate in the 1992 U.S. presidential election. Fuck yeah. And almost immediately received several death threats. <laughs> People are so angry about politics. People are like, no. No, you can't do that. Fuck you, Zappa. I will push you into the orchestra pit and then jump on you afterwards. How, how many times must I teach you this lesson, old man? Well, this wouldn't last that long, though, because also in 1991, he was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer. No, that, that kind of messes up your presidential bid. Yeah. And... After his diagnosis, he devoted most of his energy to modern orchestral and synclavier music. Now, the synclavier was an early digital synthesizer, polyphonic digital sampling system, and music workstation manufactured by New England Digital Corporation of Norwich, Vermont. What the fuck is it? Basically techno music. Oh, it's so it's like a touchboard and like, yeah, with like the there's board. pictures of the because this this. They actually made these from the late seventies to the early nineties. So it's, and so it's, it's a like, mixing board with all. It's the, like yeah, it's like a mixing board, and you can make samples and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so all he really did after this was, you know, try and make a bunch of 
you know, orchestra music and techno music, essentially. Well, there we go. I mean, that's a strange combination, but uh, if Frank Zappa makes sense, I guess. Well, and that's the crazy thing. Up until he died, he was still making music. Yeah. (laughs) 60 albums, he said, right? Over 60 albums before he died. And And he had a 30-year musical career. Think about that. That's that's two albums a year. Yeah. Uh, On average. So when is the last album? So his last album was The Yellow Shark, which was released in 1993. He actually ended up releasing two albums that year. But but it, if you really talk about last albums, we can keep going through this discography. And actually, there was one album that he was in the middle of making when he died that was released after. So you could say it was Civilization Phase 3. Yeah. But so, either way, that's that's more albums in less time than Bob Dylan did it because Bob Dylan's in the 60s of albums too. And he started in, what, 59? And yeah. still going pretty much today. Well, and I here, put today in quotation marks because I don't think he's had an album in a few years. Here's the thing, though. They're still releasing posthumous music from him. Like, I'm looking at the discography. There's... There's a, a couple albums that came out this year. <laughs> what the fuck? 117. Jesus, dude. <laughs> so, like, the dude just lived to make music. Yeah, and clearly was able to produce at a quite a hefty scale. I, Makes me ashamed for my slow amount or like my slow production of music. This dude's out there like <laughs> yeah, just I'm, a fucking printing <laughs> press of badass tunes. <laughs> I'm like curating like one song at a time for an album i'm making in the amount of time i've been you know writing like all these half songs he probably would have had like three albums out he's like what do you mean i just did a double lp this morning (laughs) one take and so on december 4th 1993 he would die from prostate cancer at the age of 52 oh just like our episode last week he died oh 52 yeah that is pretty weird he was interred in an unmarked grave. God damn it. <laughs> we haven't had this one in a while. Dude, he had enough money for a gravestone. God damn it. <laughs> Again, maybe his family didn't want people finding it. They might know where he's... I, I would say, Barry, he was it. interred. I, I thought we were past this, guys. <laughs> Where's Janis this, Joplin? This was a theme. If, no, if you guys haven't listened to our early stuff, this is a theme in probably like the first... Well, like three seasons? Yeah, the 20s and 30s, uh, when popular musicians died, they died and didn't get any gravestones for some reason. And Janis Joplin isn't alive to find his grave Yeah, I know. Either. That's what I was saying. Somebody call Janis Joplin, please. But yes, so he was interred in an unmarked grave at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in Westwood, California. So I... I honestly think that his family knows where he's buried. Yeah, they do. But they just kept it unmarked so nobody would, like, you know, dishonor his remains. Yeah, that that makes sense. There's probably, like, no name on the gravestone. It's just probably, like, an image or something like that. Anonymous gravestones. Question mark. Yeah. (laughs) FZ. (laughs) Not Frank Zappa. (laughs) Not Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa is not here. <laughs> Frank Zappa and an arrow pointing the other way. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never what do, what it if out. they put up like a sign that says Frank Zappa's grave this way and an arrow and then another one and then another one and then another one. They eventually just get back to the answer entrance. <laughs> <laughs> just leads in a big circle. <laughs> Frank Zappa's grave, it takes down the highway. 
<laughs> it was his last will and testament. Frank Zappa's grave, it leads you to G.G. Allen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I do think it's about time we get to our last thoughts. This episode was actually a bit longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, because honestly, it was quite fun, and nobody got electroshock therapy, and I was going to say... Other that, than the fake story I made well, up. Yeah, under the, other than the fake story that you bullshitted. Uh, and uh, I was going to say it was pretty, you know good like none of our negative tropes showed up until you broke my heart with the with the empty grave or the <laughs> the, the unmarked grave i don't know i don't know how i don't know how i'm feeling about that so you want me to go first this time oh yeah go ahead all right well i mean i guess the one real thing we have to comment about is just the amount of work he did this guy lived to play and make and write music that was his life. That's all he wanted to do, clearly. Like, and not just like, you know, the same song over and over again. He just wanted to write something that nobody's ever heard before. And he tried this 63 times in his life. Probably every single one, very unique from the other, too. I honestly didn't have time to listen to all 63 albums for this episode. I'm sorry, guys. You know, I mean, that's like a couple weeks worth of music, probably. So, but yeah, I mean,. I didn't know anything about Frank Zappa. I had never been into him, never really heard any of his music. And I just blown away with the amount of musical output. I don't think we're ever going to find an artist who's done more. I really don't like it amazes me. That's, I don't know what to say. Like, I yeah, wish I is, could, it is insane. I wish I could write an album in like a 10th, the amount of time he could. Yeah. Right. Releasing multiple double albums a year and things like that is just insane. Well, think about how much time he spent in the studio and on the road. He probably would like go to multiple studios in a day and like go record some rock shit and then go, Oh, I got to go over to this one and write some orchestra music. Yeah, exactly. Switch it up day to day and things like that. It's uh, it's quite impressive. And that's the other thing. I didn't know he wrote orchestra music. Yeah, all, all throughout his rock career, apparently. Yeah. That was all throughout really his rock. Cool. Like, it started really early. I'm interested to hear it, but I might have to approach this with a little bit of caution. Yeah, because you're not really an orchestra guy or just because... Just because of, of how some weird of the, the other orchestra stuff <laughs> yeah, was. The stuff that influenced him into that kind of music was really weird, so... <laughs> uh all right. Well, I guess I'll do my portion now. Honestly, like my portion's going to be kind of short, but I, I'm really happy that I get to have kind of more positive message this time. Yeah, this has been kind of a negative season. Yeah, it has been. It's been rough. Uh, the 60s have been rough, guys. Uh, but honestly, like Frank Zappa really shows, uh, I think, one of the best lessons you can take as a creative person or like an artist in general uh, and kind of just cuts his own path. Uh, he definitely, while taking inspirations from God, an innumerable multitude of sources, like if you really listen to the music like we did today, uh, you can see the yeah, sources. And that you can was feel what, the like, sources. That was what, like a hundredth of what? Yeah, a hundredth, literally maybe, a hundred. Maybe a, maybe a thousandth yeah, exactly. of what he did. And But you can really feel the sources from so many wide, dynamic places, and they're all placed together in such an interesting and thought-provoking way that it really, like, it's inspiring to just remember that no matter what you do, just make art your own goddamn way, because, like, really, that's what he did, and that is what makes his music so ideal and and nice to listen to even if it is kind of jarring and strange yeah. you feel the artistic creation off it and you feel that he really put a lot into it 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that's why I included that comment about Chuck Berry near the beginning of the episode because I almost felt like he said that with a little bit of disdain. Like, yeah, we got Chuck Berry. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it, that makes sense. Like, I, I can understand that, especially like growing up with the very, very limited amount of things that you could have. Like, Well, and especially the amount of stuff that I, I know he got into, and I assume that there was other stuff that nobody knows about that he listened to. You know, I imagine, especially with his taste, he just had this wide variety of music to, like, pull from. Yeah, and I mean, I, I very much understand that, like, on a personal level, because a lot of my inspirations don't come from... I don't know, widely available music, you know or, what I mean? Or, you know, but, like, widely known. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is it is one thing to, like, you know, keep constantly being fed something that is kind of along the, the straight and narrow when you're looking for something else. It can feel disappointing. And, you know, the best way you can do it rather than complain about it is cut that path you know what i mean if you if you don't like the straight and narrow path that you are provided like cut of cut whatever path you want artistically through the forest and if it works out it's going to work out and you should be unapologetic for it with the exception of letting your children named moon unit and drizzle or doozle drizzle dweezle dweezle uh moon unit and dweezle uh watch phases of death that was not a good parenting move uh (laughs) does kind of sound like the name of an evil elf yeah well yeah because it's like it sounds like drizzit's fucking cousin or something (laughs) (laughs) that's some nerd talk for all y'all out there sorry (laughs) y'all y'all have to google that (laughs) i don't know why i did like a like a appellation cartoony voice for that but there you guys go i don't know why i did a southern accent (laughs) (laughs) well uh honestly uh if you really guys want to cut your own path through life the best way to do it is to uh follow the rest of the herd and give us five stars on whatever you're listening to on this platform yeah if you want to know about musicians that nobody else does this is probably the best place to find that information yeah or if you just want to hang out with me and ian because we're like hyper cool uh you know just so cool just just so cool uh just you know tell your friends about us we like i said a couple weeks ago uh we don't run ads or anything like this i don't know if you guys have noticed we uh we don't ask for anything all we want is more people to listen to this the show so you know get get your friends out there you know maybe spread the word say nice things about us wherever you can and listen to the spotify because everything we talk about is on the spotify you know like we'll have like every crazy ass song that we just had on this episode yep and uh, we don't do that like as a as a partnership with anybody we just do that because we want you guys to have a playlist of the of the music for each episode because we like it so you know that's just you know we just want you to know that we care about you and we only do this because we love you so i hope you're all having a good week and we will see you next week for a very, very special episode. A uh, very special episode. Uh, we are going to, I believe as the kids say, uh, simp super hard for uh, the greatest man alive. But Something you'll, like that, yeah. You'll, you'll have to just, uh, you'll have to wait. Uh, we love you and good night. Later.